1: putt is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect american patients healthcare providers and taxpayers on the Puttcast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts influencers and patients always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Monique Whitney. I am Putts Executive Director. We are so happy to be back in 2022 with our podcast series, and we're kicking it off with a very special guest, which we're extremely excited about. I'd like to take a second to first introduce my my fabulous co-host and board member, Lauren Young. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Monique. Thanks for having me. Really glad that you're here today. And I think you and I were were super excited when when our our guest, Dr. Bled Tanaway, uh, said she could be on our podcast. We're, We're super excited to have her. So I think, Lauren, you were one of the first people to bring the, the hashtag pizza is not working campaign to our attention. I was kind of curious before we, uh, before we have, you know, bled on and have her talk, I was kind of curious about when you first saw that, what it was about the campaign that captured your attention.
2: Well, as most people on the podcast know, I am not a pharmacist. I am a pharmacy owner and I am a communication marketing background person. So when I saw this hashtag, it immediately resonated because previous to my pharmacy work in the family business, I have worked in retail. And I think that's something that a lot of other people can get behind and understand that the pizza is not working. We are at a tipping point right now. And whether you're an employee or an employer, especially in the healthcare sector, it is vitally important to understand that things are not getting back to normal as we want and, there has to be something that changes. So I was very, very excited when I saw this really impressive viral marketing campaign that Blend started. It,
0: it was incredible. I, and you know, people who listen to the podcast know that I'm also not a pharmacist. I'm a patient. And in the really in the short time since this campaign launched, I know it's drawn attention for me and for people in my life. Uh, I think I've shared with. Some of you on our panel today, some of the stories that my friends and I have swapped, one of my very best friends, my best friend from high school, told me the story about trying to get her daughter's medication at a Walgreens and learning that every single pharmacy tech at that Walgreens had quit and there was only the one pharmacist left. And she couldn't get the medication because that one pharmacist had to take leave and wasn't available. And you know, how as a patient, you know, as as the mother of a patient, that was so surprising to her and this was happening at the same time as blood's campaign and I was like well but it's not it's not that surprising actually when you think about it. So I think I think without further ado Dr. Blood Tanaway welcome we're so glad to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I am very excited to be here to and to learn from you guys and from your experience as well. Well, we we're just so incredibly stoked. So I think the first thing many of the people who listen to our podcast, our people in the industry. So, in a way, you're being here, it almost goes without even a need for introduction because you know how they say, like, you know, our rock stars are not other people's rock stars. Well, that's that's you for us, right? You're you're this person who's done this incredible thing and you've been able to bring a very public spotlight on a on a critical situation. But before we even get into that, I would love to know about your background. I'd love to know, you know, about you and you know. How you came to choose pharmacy as a career and and what you love about it, and just really kind of like introduce yourself to everybody here, yeah, absolutely so um i was born and raised
1: in the a coast and moved in the country about uh, two thousand and six and so um never thought about pharmacy first, but it was very dear to me in a sense where as a as a sickly child you know pharmacy was really the place where at so my my healing i was going to get better and so i i was drawn to it in the very i was going to choose that as a first choice for school um actually i was going to go for journalists i when i was back on this so but um when i moved here um like any other Af- african family you get three choices you get me- medicine or lawyer or engineering and so my choice of medicine was uh was pharmacy and it's interesting because not too long after I moved here, my father and I were just driving somewhere and I just told him, one day I am going to be a pharmacist at Walgreens. And he just turns around and just, just gave me this look, why? And because it was just so specific, I said, because I want to work in the in community, you know, and so that was my, my goal. So through college, you know, I find my way. To pharmacy by either desiring to be a pharmacy technician, which at that time it was so hard to get a position. And so you really had to stop at the back, start at the bottom, right? And so when I started working for Walgreens, I started as a cashier, I had to go. I knew I need to get back to the pharmacy, but I was willing to start anywhere. So going from cashier, going from a uh, follow technician to be technician into finally into a pharmacy. And technician position, and when I got there, I just thought, yes, you know, I have finally arrived, right? And then, of course, you know, When I got into pharmacy school, becoming an intern, and I still remember when we were in class, and they were asking us, you know, what's your next step after pharmacy school? You know, my classmates were just thinking, I'm going to go to residency. I'm going to do this, and I was like, I'm going to be a community pharmacist, right? And <laughs> People just think, you know, that time, why are you so excited about that? This is not very that glamorous, right? But I was just so proud because I was just thinking to myself, I am going to be in the community with the patients. I'm going to know them. And that was just so exciting to me. So the first day I uh, I, I, became a pharmacist and for my tag, I was just like, yes. You know, it was this huge accomplishment for this and this huge honor to really be in the midst of what people call the trenches, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and so that's where I was. And so that was, that's really, and um, that's really my journey and my I was just so I was just so excited to just be with my patients, you know, to get to know them, to get to get to know their story, to be able to share uh, their, their struggle, to be able to share, you know, uh, their victories, you know, and that that's what made pharmacy so appealing to me. And so of course I, I knew that
0: I had made the correct choice, you know, with all of that. That's awesome. And I love your energy, you know, even now (laughs) uh, having been through all of the things that led to the creation of this hashtag and this viral campaign that has been going on, you still have that, that energy and that excitement, Yeah. Uh, all of the other stuff aside, what's your favorite thing about being a pharmacist? Um,
1: so just for disclaimer, I don't currently work in retail at the moment because I, I have decided to step out because of what we know that he has become, and and we will we will discuss more I'm sure later in the podcast. But while I was working at retail, my my favorite thing was to know my patient's name, and so I <laughs> I was able to remember about 89 to 90 percent of them by name when I was in the store, when I was in the store. And for them, that was so impressive that I could. And so I made my technician remember who they were, because for me, there was there is this idea that we have a big corporation has been so very uh, separating and not very connected to the patient. And you think as independent, as being very personal, right? And I wanted to bring that independent feel of a family. And so I I knew the patient who didn't want the receipts stapled to their bag. I knew the patient that would ask for twenty dollars in return after they the purchase their prescription. I knew the patient that would tell you, do not give me 90 days, I can't afford that. <laughs> I knew the patient who had... Uh, we had to have uh, her finger removed, and so when you handle her bag, you have to to wrap it in the specific way. You had to honor the way she felt, and and I knew about the the mom who's a kid uh, was constantly sick, and, and and all the time, and wondering what is wrong. So I knew about all that, so that that personal relationship that I have with my with my patients to to not just uh, know them, but also their family. I remember when I went on my maternity leave. There was a family where dad and, and mom and husband and kid were all filling out my location. They all left to go somewhere else. And then when I returned back, they came back, right? And so um, all of that intimation with them was my favorite thing ever. And of course, to be able to develop my, my technician as kind and, and loving and serving human, but also to know, for them to know that I have their back. So if I need to step in front and say, you need to leave <laughs> because you're not going to talk that back to my technician. And so I I carry this, this motherly um, hat on my head, right? I was the mother. I was the corrector. I was the, uh, the, the, uh, the IT person. <laughs> I was a security guard. And I just love those different hats that I could wear at one time, you know, it was just really so exciting. And so, understanding our living was very difficult. It felt like a failure to me to leave that because I realized that I was not able to give that to not only my patient but also my technician and over my community, you know?
0: So what happened after you left? So you know about the campaign and what led yeah. to that, but, but what happened and, and where where have you landed?
1: And so I landed in the health system. um, So I work in patient. And so so even I I started a campaign while I was still working as a chain and and pharmacist. And I had planned to stay as a a per diem because I wanted to still keep the momentum. But I found myself to feel anxious and very overwhelmed by the idea of going to work and I think that's where I struggle because I think of the wonderful pharmacists who and technicians who go to work every day you know putting the 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 hack and and working you know 12 14 hours you know all this long time and me to not be able to bring myself to work one shift a month which is what's required to stay as needed was very shameful. I was it was very shameful to me Um, it felt that I was giving up, you know, and there was a lot of failure that I felt, you know, and I really had to go inside and realize that I took an oath to protect my patients. That was, and the reason why I went into pharmacy was because of them. And the reason why I left is because of them. And there is nothing shameful about that. You know, I salute those who can stay, who can continue to fight, you know, But some of us know when we have reached the end. And I look back and I realize that I will not have the energy to do what I'm doing right now, have I stay, right? And so... I'm realizing that I did not leave my, my patient, you know, I'm still fighting for them, even though I'm no longer in retail, I I should be the the person that will say I work in patient. That seems like that's your, that's your problem. But I feel that I am still in the trenches with my patient, right? Because the goal is always patient safety, but also the value of being a pharmacy professional.
0: And that's where we have the intersection of our, of our interests because, you know, Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency was founded by independent pharmacy owner and farm owners and pharmacists, and we have expanded our membership uh, with additional pharmacists and and even uh, people who are are not pharmacists and patients mm-hmm. and doctors' practices. And what we all have in common is this deep concern for what's been happening in the American healthcare system that it has become driven by. Metrics that are impossible to meet. It has become about uh, about money and about profiting. And so, I, I guess it'd be interesting now from your perspective. And Lauren, please, you know, join join me with questions that you have on this as well. You now have a Facebook following on in your Facebook group of over forty seven thousand people, uh, most of whom I think are in the profession and they're following you. And you know, you've you've launched this. This new awareness uh, for this industry that's been sort of quietly in the background dealing with impossible measurements and things like not being able to, you know, take a break or not being able to eat lunch. You know, these are all things that now mm-hmm. the public is aware of. How, how has this been going? What, what changes have you seen since bringing public yeah. attention? Um, so correction, I think,
1: <laughs> is that that particular group is no mine. It's a group of different pharmacists who have allowed me to share the journey on the platform and it's been you know it's been very supportive and i think there's a i think because i am so active on the group it's assumed directly that it's actually my group you know uh but but it's not really and i, and I want to give credit to the people who actually work really hard in building that that group so it's definitely on me i just came to just uh say hey Help me share the message. But to answer your question, is it's very difficult to to quantify the the, the change because I was actually having a discussion with another pharmacist about that. You want to acknowledge that um, employees are listening and wanting to be more aware of um of the mental state of the of the employees. We have seen rated decreasing the um the amount of vaccine that they allow per hour. We have seen store changing hours of um, nine to five because there's nobody to cover. So instead of making the pharmacies on longer hours, they have changed that. And we have seen technicians um, paid go up a little bit, you know, and you see all those change. And I acknowledge those change. And I think it's important but also, I'm so guarded because those change are the direct result of the pressure that, pharmacists and technicians in general have been putting um, by raising awareness on the condition. And so my next question is is this is this going to be sustained? Is this just because we want to get out of the public figure? And then in the about three months we're back to where we where we were right. And so that's why I am very guarded in applauding you know um those changes, because those companies have a history on backing out of promises they have made. And so I see them, I recognize them, but I am not confident that they will stay like that on the long-term, especially when the calculation comes on how much money they're going to be using, they are going to revert back to the old behavior. So I am expecting 180 degree
2: turnaround again. Bled, I am so impressed with the way that you're able to articulate this because a lot of the things that we come up against in PUT and dealing with independent owners is that you know some of the chain pharmacists they are just bogged down with having to color inside the line with corporate. Mm -hmm. And so you have been able to embrace this and really reach out to those chain pharmacy staff members and other industry members and really tap into something that state organizations, national organizations haven't been able to do. And that's just so impressive <laughs> that you're you. able to get that. I mean, we are not on different sides of the playing field. You know, the corporation that you worked for might be one of those, you know, uh, monopolies or evil empires that some <laughs> of the independent pharmacies say, but you know, the actual staff members there really aren't in control of that. And so that's the fact that there are, you know, some chain pharmacists that get it and understand the plight, you know, they are frustrated with their patients not being able to be served as well. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that's so important Mm -hmm. for us to remember. But one of the questions I have for you is I know obviously COVID has changed a lot, but Mm -hmm. if you can go back two years ago was a lot of the same stressors happening? I mean, metrics have always been part mm-hmm. of your world as a mm-hmm. pain pharmacist, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: And so I had
1: a chance to to take a step back and very much um, look at the idea of metrics. And I realized that when you really think about it, metrics are all, some of those metrics, not all of them, are really part of part of patient care. They're really part of what we're supposed to be doing as pharmacists. So I have divided the community pharmacy in three models. So my first model is the patient care, which is, and um, when you look at the patient care, is their patient not in the pharmacy at the moment? So after they have already, we already dispensed the dispense their medication. So calling them to follow up on them to see how they're doing, are you having any side effect on your medication? Or the patient that is late on their insulin for for like for, for three and uh, for 30 days, why are you late? Is there any problem? Right? Um, so and then MTM. So this model really is part of my job, you know, as a pharmacist. And I think many times we talk when we talk about metrics, we gotta be very careful to very separate. Now, how fast I answer my phone, that's different. How, how does that affect the patient care, right? But those other metrics do, right? So you have the patient care model. And then you have the patient safety model, which is for the patient that is picking up their prescription. Is this the correct patient? Is this the correct job? Is this the correct therapy? And all of that at the end, I think uh, at, the, at, the, at the cash register, am I handing the correct bag to the patient, right? That is the patient safety model. And then you have the immunization model that kind of boosts when we came with COVID testing. Even in that sense, there's still safety. Are you giving the correct vaccine to the correct patient? Are you taking time to wash them into counsel? So all of those things is part of my job. The issue with that is how many people you need to make that functionable. What we see in big, in big chains, we're asking one person to properly do patient care, to properly do patient safety, to properly do initial model. That's impossible. And that's where the metrics become an issue, because I am just cheating the system by pushing, yes, I made that phone call. But did I really call Mrs. John and ask her why she hasn't been here in three months? No, I did not. So in that sense, I have failed my patient, but it's not because of me, it's because my company decided that they didn't need another person to follow through, uh, through this. So metric when we have the proper support, they work. Now, when I say they work, I'm not saying like, hey, have a quota, that's different. You know, the, it's, 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 it should be more about the quality of the of the model than the quantity. I think where chain employees fell, they focus less on the quality of the model or but more the quantity, how many person you can verify in 15 minutes. That's not quality, that's quantity, you know. And that's where we all, that's that's what that's where the system is actually failing, right? Because when you think about it, you as a patient, you want all those three to be offered to you in the in the most optimal way. So that to happen, you have to have support. So two years ago, we we're still having an issue, but it was not as bad as it is now because now the immunization model is so dense that. The patient safety model and the patient care model and not be done because we have to do that one thing. And there's only one of us to do all of those at the same time. And that's where it became very overwhelming because employers did not back out and say, oh, I see that you are you just added another task for you. Well, if you can make those that one call, that's fine. That's not what happened. We're telling our employer that, hey, you have not made 30 phone call, you're in trouble. You know, the punishment that came with not meeting the goals is what is pushing pharmacists out of the profession. It's not because we are scared to work, it's because we've been punished for not quantifying of quality. Yeah, we're not being graded on the quality of our profession, but on the quantity of what we can produce to employ. Does that make sense? Did that really answer your question? So, two years ago, we're still seeing that, but now I think with COVID, it's gone. It has gone very, very high.
0: But I have a question. How, yeah. in, your, in your opinion, how did we get here? How did it go from a quality profession to a quantity profession?
1: I think, I think we all have to say that we have all played part in this. I, I say, what we see right now is. we are all guilty. No one can say it's not my fault. I think first, we have graduated too many pharmacists without thinking about what the market looks like. We did not prepare pharmacists to make themselves marketable where if they go to a job interview and they see the working condition and even the pay, they didn't have a, a backup plan to say, I don't want to work here. This is going to endanger my patient." and we just went with the flow. So in a sense, the schools have failed to prepare us for the next step, you know? And when we got there, we also have failed. And I said, me, I have failed myself to not realize earlier that I need to become an advocate for the profession and I need to be involved more, right? And I need to find a way to have a backup plan, not because I wanted to run, because, hey, I need options. If, I, if I'm going to go and challenge my supervisor and I'm going to lose my job tomorrow, that's fine because I have option, right? We, most pharmacists are very, where we're right right now, we are to the place where we don't have option. There's a fear, and that's why we, we hear so much, the fear of retaliation. If you have option, what would you be afraid of? You would have gone and said, hey, this is wrong, but because you, you, you have a decent pay, you have a... a you're comfortable where you are. So, I mean, that like, you know the knowledge is comfortable, right? And so, and then you don't have a backup. And so the fear of retaliation is worse. And I think employers know that because they have new graduates coming who can replace you. You know, this you know the circle is coming to school. And then our organizations have chosen side, they chose an issue that they feel like is more important, right? And so... We talked about provider status, you know, and as an independent, PBM reform is huge. And don't get me wrong, I agree with that. But when you think about it, how long it would take for PBM reform to fix workplace issue? A very long time. Too
2: yeah. long, too A, long. I think too we all long. can agree on that.
1: Yeah, we can. We all can agree on that. How long it would take for provider status to fix the working issue? Very long time. So today, what can we do to in the next three months to make some type of change, you know, and I found myself that many state organizations are very independent gear. And so when it comes to workplace, it's very hard for them to see what is happening and it's and therefore it makes pharmacists not want to be engaged because they're just thinking, hey, you don't you don't you don't look at my issue, you don't care about what's happening. Why should I even participate in an organization? So you have a disconnect between chain and how and, and state association. Many of the chain pharmacists are not part of the association because of that relationship, you know? And of course you have a national organization, right? <laughs> who have their own fight, you know? Uh, and then you have uh, our lawmakers who realize that, okay, I need to pick up my battles. Do I really want to talk about your issue? I need to worry that Walgreens for CVS is my next biggest donor for my next election. Do I really want to get into this battle with them? The answer is no, <laughs> right? And so, it's everybody, somehow we have all play a, a role in this. And that's why to fix it, we all have to be awakened. It, it, it will require all of us. And that's what makes it hard too, because you can't get everybody on board, right? You can't get the independent at times to like say, hey, I'm on board with you. You can't even get a chance to be like I'm gonna fight because it's my problem, you know. You can get the health system to be I'm with you, right? It's just like everybody's like, oh, it's the chain issue. But then the chain cannot speak for themselves because of retaliation. So who's here? Who's listening? It's just it's just this whole this whole mess, right? And so I, it's hard. I probably didn't answer your question, but this is how untangled everything is. Just to
0: to let you know how I feel. So. I think you did a great job answering the question. I, so it's I, not, and, and to be fair, so every, every guest we have on the podcast, we will ask them, you know, what, how do they think we got here? What do they think is the solution, which I'm going to ask you in just a second. When you see solution. Just like, heads up know. there. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think you're right. I think that was, I think that was really well said. And, you know, as a patient, I can take some culpability in this too because you know when you're sick it's like you want your medicine you want it now Mm -hmm. you don't really you know care about like what's happening with the people behind the pharmacy counter that are you know doing what they're doing it's like I'm just not well and I want my medicine and guess what I'm one in a long line of people (laughs) who probably feel that way yeah and then you have your not not that I'm making an excuse for you know Walgreens or CVS or any of the other groups but you know they do have a responsibility to their customers and so You end up with this, you know, situation where everyone is trying to push for their own agenda. The patient, Mm me, I'm saying me, the patient, I want my medicine. And then, you know, the, the, the insurance company who's trying to push for, you know, the most uh, cost-effective, I'll just be kind and say (laughs) cost-effective way to get that medication delivered. And then you've got the pharmacy that's trying to, you know, deliver and provide the care, but these metrics are so tight. Mm-hmm. that it's nearly impossible to do that. You know, it's, it's been that way. We all kind of know with doctors, it's been that way. Like, you know, we talk about how, you know, on average a doctor has something like seven minutes to see a patient and they've got to get the whole world of the illness and the treatment and they got to do it in seven minutes, you know, and mm-hmm. here's this patient. It's like, and while you're in here, can I ask you about, and they mm-hmm. can't because that's a different billing code. They didn't mm-hmm. get the appointment for that. You know, it's just like, it's become a very data driven yes you know kind of of, of industry even though yeah. it's supposed to be about care you took an oath I thought that was so uh, poignant when you said that you did take an oath and, and you know here at Putt, we we spent a lot of time talking about pharmacists or doctors they they take an oath like other doctors they mm-hmm. have a job to do uh behind in the scenes it's not it's not pill counting you know behind the scenes there's a lot of research a lot and, going on yeah yeah yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. so, so um, and, and you're painting a a pretty phenomenal picture of what it's like to go in as someone who's really excited and wants to care <laughs> for patients and knows their patients' names, <laughs> to you know, someone who's really, you know, now now pushed to the limit to the point where every time you're handing that patient a prescription, you're like, oh my gosh, I hope it's right. I exactly. Hope- yeah. You I and I think that's
1: that's where I got. I was uh every time I had a bag in my hand of the last verification I had is voice in the back of my head. I hope this is the correct one, you know. And when you get to the point where, know that you you can never be too comfortable when it comes to healthcare. You have to have your guard and have to have your safety check. That's, you know, and, and mistake is bound to human nature. Absolutely. But when you get to a point where it's literally that constant anxiety of hooking this might be it. This might be it. Then you realize that okay, this is not an environment that you want, that you need, that you need. Not because you don't want to, but you need to be in at that moment. Yeah. And yeah, I've so been, perfect. I've been really honest. I, you know, people have asking, do you think uh, we should uh, gone done away with uh, community pharmacy? And I said, no, we need community pharmacy. You know, so, if anything, this pandemic has shown that we vaccinated the entire country. We are valuable. You know but I would never stand in the front of a who and say, I want to leave. You know, we, we should not punish them for wanting to leave. We should not make them feel guilty for money because we don't know what they're going through every day, you know, and I get some pushback from that, you know, don't give up, keep fighting. And I always ask the question, when was the last time you spoke on behalf of them? When was the last time you went to the pharmacy and said, hey, I see you, I'm with you, right? You want them to say because it serves you because you need someone to hinge your question but have you thought about how they feel when they go home, when they walk to work the first time, right? Do you know how many medications they just got on because of this? You don't know that. So if they want to leave, no one should have the right to tell them you are
2: giving up. No one. Yeah, agreed. I totally agree. I think it's amazing, Bled, that you also have that connection. I mean, you still have connections to your patients, you still feel very strongly about trying to make sure they're taken care of. And, you know, that's so admirable, especially right now when there's so many factors that make it hard to do that for pharmacists. You know, they have to be not, you know, sometimes the pharmacist is the main touch point for a patient. They Mm -hmm. may see three to five different providers who might be telling them all something different.
0: So Mm -hmm. you
2: are responsible for trying to take that information and you know, quell it down to something they can understand. And exactly. so that's really important. Or, If not them, their caregiver to understand, you know. Yes. And so that's what's so important. And so I think that the fact that you're bringing this to light, we talk a lot about advocacy, obviously, on many different levels and, you know, patient advocates. And you're really a an advocate on the other side of it, trying to make sure the pharmacy staff understands that they cannot take care of their patients without taking care of themselves. Yes. Yeah, and absolutely. So that's one of the most important lessons that I think I've learned from you so far.
1: I, I made a proposal to Walgreens, CEO in Oklahoma about how to retain the, um, the staff and hire. And I made this comment that I was I say, you need to realize that this is a dominant effort with your pharmacy staff as a first piece. We tend to think that the patient is or the employer is, that's not true. Your pharmacy staff is the first piece of the domino. You, domino effect, you knock them out and everything falls, and, uh, falls, falls out. You hold them high and everything is, is, is functioning. And the fact that we have not learned this lesson at this point in our profession for companies like that claim to be about patient care and about the community, that's very upsetting to me that we have not learned that. It's impossible. You know, I tell, I, one of my favorite examples is if you are going for surgery, you don't want a surgeon that has shaking hand to be cutting you. You would, when they come and say, okay, I'm your surgeon, I'm here to take you to surgery. The first thing you would say like, why is his hand shaking? Oh, he has a disease. Oh, the answer is no. Give me another one right now. Nor would you want your surgeon to be the one doing the cutting, doing the suction, padding the bleeding and all of that. You want to make sure that in that operating room, that surgeon stays where he or she is to do all that. In pharmacy, why do we not do that? Why do we expect the pharmacy staff to do all the other things that could potentially harm the patient? Why are we not hiring more, more help in the surgery area? Because we don't see them as valuable member of the healthcare body. You will never see a doctor go and say, okay, today I will be uh they the you, your check in person and i'm going to take you to take your blood pressure i'm going to take you to take your weight no <laughs> there are people designed am i like, is it not you there are people designed to do all those things and that's like when i create those three models and i and i tell i that if you have people working at those different three models you will have saved pharmacy in healthcare because that's how it's supposed to work yes it require money that's true But think about that. When you you feed into a factory, you get more out of it. The idea that you can receive more without feeding is dumb, It's stupid, you know, and all the way you want to use. Hire more people in those models and you will be surprised at how productive they will be and how much money you will make. If the goal is money, you will make so much money, right? Because you will have company look at your goals and say, hey, you have met our patient quality goal for this year because you made all those phone calls. We'll pay you more. We we'll actually make you a preferred provider in our network. You have patients that say, hey, I want to go to pharmacy S because they know who I am. They already have my medication ready every time I go there. You should go there. And then you have you have pharmacist that say, I want to work for you. I don't want to work for this person because you take all your of your employees. You have all three players
0: running back to you as a company. Why is it so hard to believe? I love it. It's so true, though. It's <laughs> if you want to make more money, invest a little bit more, no. and you will see. I think you really did a great job defining what the fix could be for this situation. And and I, it's I brilliant it and simple. I gave them that plan. I gave them that plan,
1: and they same by this very. Excuse my language. As of email back to me, <laughs> which I say I am going to take a survey and see how your employees feel about this. Survey, this answer you gave me, and it has not been great. And I cannot wait to gather the document back and send it back to them. I said so. According to your email, your employees said that you're lying. <laughs> 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 it's not
2: me. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Bled, are you sure to you're not an independent role. pharmacist in disguise?
1: I am probably. <laughs> and, you know, I am probably. And I, <laughs> my husband says, say, you know, you should open your pharmacy. I say, you know, I probably should, but I don't know anything about business. I don't have the money to do it. And I I want to keep my heart to a patient, not to worry about calculating, okay, we need to make that much money. That would just show me realizing that. I'm financially struggling. I have to cut the person, you know. I'll leave that to someone else to do. Because it's tough. I'm sure it's really tough. And I like easy stuff. So you can you're
0: gonna get me to do that. <laughs> oh, I agree. I think you'd be a fabulous oh, yeah. independent pharmacist. It it does take courage, you know, to it takes courage to go into this business at all. Yeah. As the independent pharmacy owners, you know, they will tell you, we will tell you it it's it's Scary, but it's worthwhile mm-hmm. being yeah, able to I'm provide sure, the yeah. kind of care that you see. Yeah, but,
1: you yeah. and we're and we ready to talk about how independent pharmacies have really stepped in in this crisis to take over all this influence of patients who are just like, I'm not getting great care at my regular chain, you know. And so, but then, with all that influx of of patients, even though at times you are well staffed, it doesn't mean that you have you're getting all your money in, in first back to you, you know, because we're talking about payment, you know, a model, right? And so you are serving the community by stepping in, but then you are not being compensated properly for that, uh, you know, for, uh, for, for, for those actions. And so we really have to talk about that too, because I think it's important to recognize that who is picking up the size of the chains pharmacy um, is you independent, right? And so this and this is where I tell us that we need to really bind together because it, it affects everyone. And what we what we don't want is your staff just started to feel burned out by the amount of work because you are not able to hire more people because you don't have the money to hire more people. And then what we have happened, we have created another crisis within the independent. That's really what we have. And, and that's my biggest fear that I think that if we don't, find something very quick it's going to be the same issue for you and then at that point we would have really have broken
0: pharmacy altogether yeah we agree we think the united front is the the only way to really address this and the more we progress the more we realize it is a united front it, it's going to take everybody working together to yeah. to make this you know a to make this a reality. Lauren, you I work. totally agree
2: with that. Totally agree with that. And really, and Monique, we've talked about a lot on the board and even other members, you know, we really come from the independent side, a place of survival for our business. And so mm-hmm. really, that's one reason why we have had to be so creative and had to do things. And so glad I think that having chain pharmacists understand that play. I mean, I know you say, You hope that it doesn't happen in independence, but it is happening in independence. They just don't have the district manager to talk to. They are that person. You know, they basically go to the mirror and they say, man, this is a really rough day. What should we do? Well, I don't know. What should we do? So if you're lucky, if you're lucky enough to be a PUT number, you can talk to us. And, you know, I've hosted healthcare happy hours, just mental health check-ins with people Mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to get everyone to understand that we are all sticking together in this and just trying to find any resource we can. And so I think that it's important for us to remember that, again, the chain pharmacy staff is going through those same issues. They're just uh, going at it really from more of the practice of pharmacy as opposed to that business of pharmacy Mm -hmm. angle of it. Yeah, yeah. And
1: I'm pretty sure you guys have never really had anybody ask you that question, but uh, you're probably the first independent group I'm talking to. And so one of the many questions I get is, how do we know that PBMs reform is not going to create another monster? And I mean another monster, it means that how do we know that independents are not going to be using the same play as chain pharmacy? And that's a question that's been thought out a lot. Like, you know, we have to, you know, there's this situation right now, there's what is happening in chain pharmacy benefit independent in a way where they are getting this influx of patients, you know, toward them. And so that's a very tricky question because you have to think about it because it's also thinking when you see how different states are reacting to, to the crisis um, and you can see how sometimes State, state organization who are mainly independent, are not jumping in and, you know, and acting acting within on behalf of, of retail, pharmacists and technicians, you have to understand why the question is being asked, you know, um, okay, we there's this silence coming from that community. Why? Why the silence is, is, is this benefiting them, you know? And so maybe a question has never been asked for you on your podcast, but like, what do you, you know, what do you guys think, like, and, you know, is this, is this a, a idea that, it, that you think some independent are entertaining? Do you think is a lack of understanding of just the culture of independent um, pharmacy? You know, like, like,
2: what is your take on those comments? From my perspective, I think independents are definitely in support of what you're doing. Um, on, in PUT, we have done similar to what you have done with your uh, pizza is not working per state. You know, we try to get a network of independent pharmacies who really want to feel heard. And really that's what you're doing is getting people together to feel heard and try to get some sort of action where there has been previous inaction. Mm -hmm. And so you can only take so much before there's a catalyst for change. And I think you having the courage to step away really showed other chain pharmacists that it was okay to question Mm -hmm. Corporate and to go against some of the issues that they've been having, and to realize that you can put in 12 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week, and you still can't get caught up. And that's so hard to do that and still care for the patient. Because, underlying, as you said, you did take an oath. A lot of your compatriots did take that oath, and they do take that very seriously. Mm -hmm. And so they really want to make sure that they are upholding that and so I think that we're definitely coming at it from the same perspective because we all understand Mm -hmm. what it needs what needs to happen and so we just it's good to have um, this ability to try to get the two sides talking Mm -hmm. in a different way
0: yeah absolutely so blood with all of the work you've been doing, what do you see is next for you? What, do you have a, any new projects in the pipeline or what, what do you see for yourself?
1: Uh, so I will really like you know I was, like I said, 2021 was more of a year of, uh, of awareness, you know, and I would like 2022 to be more the year of action. Um, it's very difficult to make any type of change on the national level. And so I more into encouraging people to join the state team that we created, and I think right now we have 22 size not working state team, and to have more of those uh, or those team created, um, especially in state where the voice of chain uh, professional is not being heard, and I think those those state delegation really come as a as a as a back force for them to make sure the consent is being brought up to right, um, either during state association meeting or board of pharmacy. So, because it would be impossible to make a national change. I really think so. Um, when it comes to any type of reform, I would just be honest, this is not my area. And so, I know, there's not gonna be, oh, we wrote this law, <laughs> this, right? I mean, I do, I have people with I, that I am connecting with that. I, they're all in that department and I but I I don't really know it that's not that we are we we have the arms to work on that you know we have some and once again that's why state team is important because every state is different you know what 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 you can you can propose in Oklahoma what we know work you know in another state and so we're collaborating with each other to see what have you done and how we can mirror that in each state you know so we're really working within state. I think that's really the best thing. How and to really establish the team well um, to create more connections. You know, um, I, I will. I would like to have more national organizations be involved and see how they can really step in. As I was saying, we have been fighting for two big things for the last twenty years. You know, twenty years later we're still fighting, and so we don't necessarily have to table those issues. But hey. We kind of really have to think about something in the next year, right? And so my brain works this way by someone brain, my works another way. Someone, some of the major organizations have the politics behind them, they have the money behind them, you know. And I'm hoping that that's why we're seeing more of those national organizations like APHA really, really, really stepping in now um, and doing anything besides. The two major issues that we've been running for the last twenty years. Um, I have some personal goal that I don't know if there will be accomplished or not. That I in the pipeline. Um, I'm working on on serving people and see how they feel about those ideas and see even uh, you know attainable. You know, should I even waste my energy trying for that? You know, and so um, I. I am so brand new in advocacy at times. I feel that I'm wasting people's time, you know, because I feel like I'm not, if you ask me, how do you feel about what you accomplished? I'd be like, oh, that would really be my answer. And so people say, you've done so much. I'd be like, no, (laughs) what? Oh, you know, and I think about like, you have done so much people who have shared a message to talk about it have done so much all i did was to go on social media and write something i probably have twenty thousand typos and i had to go back and fix it all the time uh and then you went ahead and talk about it to someone and the world propel you did the work i just don't know what i'm doing <laughs> and so and so hopefully i will hopefully i will grow you know as um as an advocate hopefully I will get to come into on this uh, organization umbrella uh, for and bring pieces not working under someone on the organization umbrella so that I can have more resources to to reach some of the goals that I have, you know, uh, because we know we are not an uh, organization, you know, we I like to think about as a advocacy partner for the profession. I tell people that is people think, oh, this is just should be just for chain pharmacy. And, uh, and I say, and I tell them, I say, you want to hear a funny story? The people who I, I am working with are not even chain pharmacists. They're all from different area because we should be fighting for all pharmacy. If tomorrow the are someone to be on the side with our sign, I want to be there. If tomorrow, the health system was something i want to be so i think of fixers not working as a food advocacy There, we don't fit anywhere today is the change tomorrow it could be anybody right and I, this is who i want to be right and so so that's kind of like where i am right now that probably doesn't answer your question but
0: <laughs> no that's wonderful that that's and you know what i totally see you as an amazing advocate for the profession and Really, anywhere there's you know somebody who's the underdog that you'll be there to fight for them, and that's just wonderful. It's a real honor to be with you. So we're coming to the end of the podcast uh, today, this episode, and we always ask our guests to provide uh, some some advice. So, given your background and and the people you've been working with, what advice would you give to pharmacists or pharmacy staff in a in a retail environment that is really you know, stressing them, scaring them, making them uh, feel like somehow they're going to do harm in some way. What what advice would you give to those individuals?
1: I think first, I would say you need to forgive yourself because whatever decision you're going to make will probably come back to the next day and feel like the wrong decision. And I wish someone would have told me that I need to forgive myself earlier when I decided to leave or even decided to speak up because I woke up every day with some type of fear in my heart and, and guilt and almost, oh my gosh, what I, what have I I've done to my family from for putting myself out there, you know, the most, the never to hire pharmacists in the entire country, <laughs> you know? Uh, so you need to forgive yourself for this you're going to make in the future. Um, you need to put yourself first. Um, it's not selfish to say, this is it for me, right? Um, to realize that of of taking care of your patient might look different from the, from the next person. And so you know yourself more than anybody else. To believe that there are people out there that will stand with you. I think sometimes we feel very much alone and we feel that no one is going to stand with me. If you had told me in August that, this is where we would be. I always say, "Why? That's not. That's not possible." You know, but the friends and the family that have obtained to pharmacy is amazing, and you have to know there will be someone standing for you. And so, when you are ready for that step, don't do it alone. Grab someone to step out. Right? Whether it's the courage to go and tell your supervisor, "You are literally killing my patient." Grab someone with you to go say that. Right. If you're the decision to leave, have someone with you. And then I think that what is important, I know that it's very tiresome and discouraging to constantly be reaching out to your board of pharmacy, your sister association, your lawmaker, and not getting the answer that you need. Advocacy is really, really difficult. I think if you are not ready to personally be involved, find a way to still support those who are fighting for you. Sometimes it's easy to just check out and say, that's not my issue, but there is somebody that is out there being eaten by the wolf, you need to be providing some type of support you know, to that person because you would want that if you were, if you were, right? And I what I love most is that you you are value, you are love, you are important, you know, you you um you should be cherished, you should be cared for, right? As you are caring for other people. This is what you should feel, you know, about your about your career, about you know, about your job. In all my doing everything, somebody asked me, What do you want, Bled? If this is over, what do you want? I said, I hope that I will have one person and said, because of you, I know that I'm worthy. Because of you, I know that I matter and I should defend myself. That for me, that's the biggest. There's not going to be any law. There's not going to be a law. There's not going to be a change that is going to be more valuable than the fact that I've made someone feel value. That's for me, that's the that's the top of top. Yeah.
0: That's wonderful. And that's actually brilliant advice for everybody, no matter what their profession is. Dr. Bled Bled-Tanoi, thank you so much for being with us today on the yeah. podcast. We appreciate you and everything that you're doing and wish you much success. Yeah, and we also hope you'll come back and be with us again.
1: Uh, yes, I would love to thank you. This was so fun. And you know, <laughs> thank you for for your advice. And you know, I've, I mean, you guys have given me so much to think about and to and I love this discussion
0: that we have. So I'm I'm the one who's really honored to be here. Thank you so much. And Lauren, I think you were with us today from, is it the Atlanta airport? I'm
2: at the Atlanta Merchandise Mart gift show right now. Oh, okay. All right. I get to to... look for items that are on the other side of the pharmacy counter right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for making time to be with us today. I know it's because of our mutual admiration for BLED that you were able to take time out. So thank you so much for that. And to everybody who is listening to the podcast, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support of Putt. We always love feedback. If you have comments for us, please leave them below for us. Otherwise, we will say goodbye this time and see you next month on the podcast. Thanks, everybody.